Good morning. It's your girl, Joy Melody, and we're here to help you start your Mondays off right. We're here to talk about a little education, a little mental health, and the music we use to cope in this crazy, crazy world. I hope you enjoy the show, and you're listening to Morning Joy. All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. At least I hope you're tuning into this podcast, Morning Joy, where we talk about a little bit of everything. Um, so this morning I have a cool special guest on, and um, go ahead and introduce yourself so we can get into it. Wow, Joy, um, you've never referred to me as cool before, so <laughs> that's different. Um, happy to be here, Mateo Scarapore, author of Black Buck came out January 5th by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Come on. Um, and I'm just grateful to be here, grateful to be talking to you, Joy, someone who I mess with heavy, and grateful for everyone who's listening right now. You know, I'm I'm nobody compared to you. I mean, but the thing you forgot to say was not only did it come out January 5th, it is already on New York Times bestselling list. Like, oh, yeah, you- we did that, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, no big deal. We did that. So like, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Like you have been everywhere talking to everyone. um, And everyone wants your attention. So um, and thank you for like, you know, putting up with me, I'm probably annoying as hell. And that's fine. So we're just gonna have a conversation amongst two cool people. Um, And so a little bit about you that is Googleable. you went to college, you worked, you stopped working, you moved home, and you wrote this book, and now it's a big seller. But like, ever in your point, when you were in undergrad, did you have a creative side that you hoped to be your main source of income ever? No, not, no, no, I can't really think about it. Um, I can't think of, excuse me, um, one instance. I, I was always a hustler, you know, mm. Um when I was in college, um, I had jobs I was working, whether it was tutoring, whether mm. it was through America Reads, where I was helping young ones read or just like sitting in a classroom and assisting a teacher. Or when I was in Italy in Florence, um, I had a work study job. And these people, while I couldn't be a tour guide due to my class schedule, they allowed me to sit in the office and do research and actually write, though, like write an essay or two um, about my time there. So- I was always creative, um, especially when it came to my drink of choice, which you and I, um, I think we've discussed once or twice, yerba mate, right? Like I was, I was pushing that heavily, but more so the idea of it to an American audience that isn't really familiar with this um, herb from South America that is consumed like a tea or a coffee alternative. So towards the end of my time in college, <laughs> I was making videos. I was talking to people in the streets about it. I was definitely pushing it, but I wasn't being paid for it. Mm. Um, so at no point was I like, let me go make bread from being a creative or pursuing uh, a creative endeavor wholeheartedly. Um, when I came into college, I wanted to go through it, get the degree, more so than learning. I wanted to get the piece of paper. Like that, mm-hmm. that's how I came into it, which isn't the best um, way of looking at it. Um, but I knew from, from the jump that college and especially the university I went to was a business. And mm-hmm. I need to get this piece of paper that's respectable to other people, um, even though that's not the same advice I would give someone today. So I came in. Let me major in politics because I want to eventually be a politician. I want to um, 
go through, get my politics degree, get a minor in something that's related, go to law school and Mm. then run for something um, where I'm originally from, on Long Island, or maybe something in New York City, um, or just get on the Obama flow and be an organizer. And then after that, you know, run for run for something bigger and bigger and, and have a larger impact. But by the time I reached my senior year, um, I had done a year and a half of traveling within college. I studied abroad, and then I was um, one of the first group of RAs at a new university that my university was setting up in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and they also didn't charge us for that year in the UAE. I didn't know that going into it, but once we got the jobs as RAs, they said, we're waiving your, your full tuition. And if I could tell you how happy my dad sounded on the phone when I told him that, um, <laughs> it was like, my man was, my man doesn't dance, but my man was tap dancing when I told him that. <laughs> um, so, but by the time I'd come back my senior year from all of that, I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm going to go to law school. When I'm right. that into it. There's no way that I'm going to be clocking my time to like the sixth of a minute with clients and, and billing them up the wazoo just to pay for, damn, I've never used wazoo like that um, ever. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about these lawyers and that's why I'm starting to talk like them up the wazoo um, <laughs> to, to be able to pay back all the debt that I got from undergrad and grad school. Um, so yeah, I feel you. So, so, you know, it, it was then that I had to be like, what am I doing? And I went through mm-hmm. some uh, government program, we'll say. And when I came back uh, that from that summer, I had to figure out what I was doing. But a creative endeavor still wasn't on my mind. First, let me say how we're the same person. So I have a bachelor's in political science. I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to run for office. I had it planned. Same. And I took the LSAT <laughs> and the LSAT was like, bitch, you are not going. <laughs> you thought, you thought. Yeah. <laughs> and I took it again and it was like, you didn't, you didn't listen the first time. Like yeah. you wanted to pay $200 again for this shit. You tried and, it. Um, right. It was like, girl, bye. So same person. still think I want to run for some type of office one day. I used to think I'd say nigga too much online, but then I was like, <laughs> if Trump is president. So everything is possible at this point. So yeah. <laughs> That's dope, though. Like, I just had to say, like, oh, my God, what is that? But I think it's very interesting that you had this whole plan, and then it was when you traveled outside the U.S., and then you came back, and it was, like, this awakening of, like, that's really not for me. And I think it's I'm the furthest I've been outside of the U.S. is Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very interesting because I firmly believe Americans live completely different than the rest of the world. Mm. Like I think we are ass backwards when it comes to, we put work first. We don't put our families first. We Mm -hmm. we work ourselves into the ground. We do all of these things. And so I think that's very interesting. And I'm glad you said that because I tell people all the time, if they can go study abroad, because I wasn't able to, um, because I couldn't afford to in undergrad, go because I think it just opens up your brain, mind, all of that to so many different things. So that's so fucking dope that you got a year of school paid for. Yeah. I mean, definitely enjoy. Let me say a few things. Um, Right. I got got by college because I certainly couldn't afford to study abroad either, but it was like, Oh, just click and get this loan. Right. And it's like my, my parents, I have four brothers and three older and they went to college to varying degrees. But um, 
we still didn't have the knowledge and I didn't know at the time of what it meant to like sign up for a loan. And my pops was like, yeah, just grab this loan. It's cool. Like we'll pay it back eventually, or you'll have to pay it back. Like once you have enough bread. Right. And, um, we're still paying those loans. So for me, it was like, oh, I want to study abroad. Click, get this loan. Oh, I want to live in the city. Click. Oh, I want to live in nice housing. Click. I want the meal plan. Click. And they just let you clickety clack to the beat of Sally Mae or Nazanin or whatever it's called because they're dancing you know, with those with those fucking shackles. You know what I'm saying? So that that was one way that um, I was able to study abroad just just due to ignorance. And to be honest, I would have done it again though. Like if yeah. it, even if I did know, I would have done it again. Um, the second thing I'll say is in terms of traveling, I've traveled a lot. I've been fortunate to travel a lot. Or even when I was in Abu Dhabi at that time, Abu Dhabi is a hub um, in in uh, parts of Asia where you can get to many places easily and and not for for too much money. Um, yeah. For example, right? I think I went to India for like one hundred eighty five dollars. Um, but, um, while traveling, I have learned what it's like to be an American and what it means to be perceived as an American. Mm -hmm. And there are many things that I am happy about in terms of having been born here for sure. I like the bravado that many Americans have. I like this sense of idealism. Um, I sort of like the sense of exceptionalism, but I I dislike it more than I like it, to be honest. It's too much of this Western-centric, we are the best country, like we certainly aren't. Um, And then at the same time, you know, whenever I'd go places, people would be like, you Americans know nothing about geography. And I'd be like, you know what? You're right. Like, you know, I can name you a bunch of places in Europe, but I can't look at a blank map of the states and tell you every single state. I can't do that. Um, and, And in terms of traveling beyond the American border, something that I've realized after having traveled to many countries and, and especially during lockdown is that there are so, and you and I touched on this. Um, there are so many different sides to America that I haven't seen. So yes, I've been to far flung countries that people have never been to, or, you know, many people that I know, I mean, like Tajikistan, a place like that, right. Um, people have never even heard of it, but I've also, I've never been to Alabama. And at this point in my life, Alabama is more interesting to me than a, than a far-flung country in Central Asia because I want to learn about what it's like to live in Alabama, especially as a black person. I want to learn more about the Deep South. I want to go to North Dakota. I want to go to Wisconsin. Um, so so that, that's what my sights are turned on right, right now. And, it, and I think it's just in line with the education that I'm, I'm looking to get at this point in my life. I wish you could see my face because my face, I'm like that meme with the guy at the party with the cup who's like looking at you like, oh, you sure? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I have definitely, you know, I'm from the South and, you know, not missing much. I mean, obviously food. Wisconsin. <sighs> I've always wanted to go to Wisconsin ever since I was a kid. I don't know why I wanted to go to Wisconsin. Oh my gosh. But you know what? We fit our spring breaks there. So that's fair. Because when I lived in Iowa, we would, you can go anywhere like three hours three hours from milwaukee three hours from why why wisconsin so there's a bunch of lakes out there and i had a groupon (laughs) for a like something called lake geneva and it was at one of their hotels and we could bring the dog and so Mm. like me and lance went up there for um spring break and we liked it and then we came back um was it for spring break no we went back for his birthday like right before school started and it was Mm. 
he just liked it. Don't spring break. It's still snowing. So that was not for me. (laughs) I don't do snow. So when people say they want to go to Wisconsin, I'm like, you want to do what? I don't understand what you're saying to me. Um, But I, again, I keep on saying that's interesting because I don't have another word, but like, I find that fascinating that I haven't, like you haven't been to the deep South or the Midwest. I have only been to like New York and like Maryland and Virginia. Cause I lived in DC. So I, and I have family there. Hmm. So like as far as the East coast goes, I haven't even been to PA and we were going to go this year, but you know, our last year, but you know, Corona. Yeah. And so I think that's interesting that you're thinking like, I don't have this state side you know, knowledge. And I'm over here like, no, get me the hell out. <laughs> I, I haven't even been to California. Like I'm trying to do 50 by 50 and mm. Corona said it might be 55 or 60. Oh, um, man. <laughs> no, I think you got it. And, and you're also hitting on something that I think is important to note and that I have been to California many times in 20, um, eight, or 20, 2019, 2019, excuse me. I went to San Francisco six times for, for work um, that I was doing in consulting with tech startups. There is this coastal ignorance and sometimes call it coastal elitism, right? Where specifically um, in New York and also California, we think that we know what America is like and what America needs when we are very oblivious to yeah. what America is like for so many people. When mm-hmm. people... In New York, hear that many Americans are making less than $35,000 a year, or that majority of Americans have less than $1,000 in their bank account in terms of savings. I, I had homies who I was talking about that with that are like, what? What? Yeah. And I'm not going to front. I was one of those people. When I read it, I don't remember where I read it, MSNBC or something a couple of years ago. Okay. Stats, I said, holy shit. Yeah. And and it shows how out of touch you are with the heart of of Americans, with the heart um, of your people. And it, it yeah. also it, it conveys um, a staggering amount of ignorance for people that pride themselves on being educated. So I just mm. think it's important to note that and, and something for people to consider who um, live in these coastal places and think that they know what's what. I mean, yeah, I, and I, I also feel as though I have some elitism because I'm from the, the best state in the whole country, <laughs> um, which is just Texas, you know, in case yeah. people were wondering if y'all didn't know where I was from and didn't know what the best state was. Hmm. Um, but that is so true because one, that's just how Texans are. But until I moved to Iowa, I was so unaware of like so much shit um, and then when my husband from Philly moved, we moved here for my PhD, he was like, y'all Southerners are just, just very interesting. I just can't place my, <laughs> he's like, y'all are just slow moving and everything is lackadaisical. And <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I don't know. Everyone talks slow. Why are y'all not in a rush? Yeah. Like, Look at all this land. We don't have to rush. Why do you say be- hello to each other? Why are you kind? Yeah, he was like, "What, Joy? Why are you talking to the cashier when the cashier talks to you? Hmm. We just need to order our food at the restaurant and get our groceries at the grocery store <laughs> and get the fuck out." And I'm like, "Well, they asked me how my day was." Yeah. Um, so I think it's very interesting that we have these we have these identities that are tied to these places, and we're so 
fine with those identities and so fine with those values that it takes a lot for us to unlearn them. And Mm. so that is actually why I chose to go get my master's in Iowa. I would never live there again, Mm. but I got into schools in Texas and I was like, "Mm, I'll never leave Texas if I stay here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will never see anything else. So I said, let me go. It's two and a half, three, end up being three years for some bullshit. Um, and I was able to see a part of the country that I never would be like, hey, I want to go to Nebraska, you know, <laughs> mm. I don't want to go to Nebraska, but it was a three hour drive. So why not? Um, it's just, and we were able um, to see Minneapolis, like Lance had never been. So it was like all these different things that I got to see and learn mm-hmm. all because I was willing to get out of my comfort zone. And, and I can't help but think based on what you're saying, Joy, about like the kaleidoscopic nature of our very different experiences, right? Mm-hmm. As black Americans, right? right? And, and in all these different pockets of America, there is this, um, this extreme, and I don't know, this is just the word that comes to my mind, like diversification of the black experience, right? Because yes. my mom came from Jamaica and mm-hmm. that's going to be different than my homie who um, lives next door to me in Crown Heights, even though there's mad Jamaicans in Crown Heights, but you know, his people could have come from North Carolina originally mm-hmm. and then made, you know, the, the, the Northern migration. So what's, what's wild is that you and I have this intersection of our very different experiences, but then at the same time, homies are going to look at us the same, right? Because years ago when I was living in Bedsty, actually down the street, um, from where part of the book Black Buck takes place, and I'm not just trying to plug it because I know we're going to talk about it, right? Yeah. No one's gonna these these cops who rolled up on me after watching two white girls, um, and I say I say girls because I think that they were young women, but two white two white young women um, walk by in front of them in a park, and then I'm rolling through this park at 6 p.m. and five cops surround me and, and stop me, and they mm. say that we have to give you a ticket for walking through the park at dusk or whenever. And I was like, what? Like, yo, you just let those two white women walk by. And they said, what white women? So I bring that up to say, not to do this whole trauma porn type shit, but to say that they didn't stop me and say, yo, did your mom come from Jamaica? (laughs) Or did she (laughs) come from, you know, Alabama? Or um, are you educated? Or XYZ? Tommy's asked me if I had any warrants out. And I'm not going to front. I was like, what are you talking about? Warrants? Like what? Like I showed him even my old, this was like an old college ID. And that, you know, my first instinct, it's not the best instinct, but I thought that <laughs> having gone to college would save me. But nah, homies, uh, homies came back and they said, okay, you don't have any warrants, but we're going to give you a ticket. And then they had the audacity to say, you know, the judge is going to throw this ticket out anyway. And then I oh, said, yeah. why are you writing it? Yeah. Obviously, well, it's for a quote. you have to now pay court fees. So, exactly. You know. um, so- I just, that's just what popped into my mind about the uh, very different experiences that we had, that we've had and that, and that we can see in each other, but would be invisible to others and others being non-black and especially white people. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, first of all, I don't even know what it means not to walk in a park at dusk. I don't know what the fuck that means. Um, because if there's a sidewalk, I can walk on it. Right. I don't um, but if I've been, st- <laughs> I've been stopped driving my car and I was going literally five miles over the speed limit. 
the guy was like, the cop was like, do you know how fast you're going? And I, was, <laughs> I was like 35. And he was like, speed limit's 30. And I was like, sir, it's nighttime. And he was like, give me your ID, you know, all this other stuff. And then, he, you know, I was like, okay. At the time I lived at home, I was still an undergrad. It was the summertime. I was headed home to my dad's apartment. Like, wow. okay. He goes, comes back. Mm, you're clear, but um, I'm gonna let you off with a warning. But um, do you have a twin? Because um, no we're looking way. for someone that looks like I'm dead. At, it's nighttime, sir. How the fuck are you looking for someone that look like me? Are you sure <laughs> there's no one that you don't have? A, are you sure you don't have a twin? I said, officer, I really believe I would know if I had a twin. Wow. So it's it's you know, and here I am like. I have where I go to school on the back of my car. I'm coming oh. from, I went to a white ass church. So that's the only place I'm coming from on that street. Yeah. So all these different things. And so this is a perfect segue to Black Buck, which mm. of course we're going to talk about it. I didn't just come here to talk talk to you. I can just call you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you're talking, we're talking about all these different experiences of Black people. And in this book, it was literally impossible for your ki- the white characters to understand that because of all the different black people that they thought Darren looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's so important because we've kind of talked about this. So like when you're the only in a space, you're supposed to be the smartest, but you're Mm -hmm. also supposed to like know all the hood shit. Mm -hmm. And then you're also supposed to like know how to cook. And then you're also supposed to like all these things. Go ahead. What did you yeah, say? No, I was just going to say dance. I was just throwing that dance. in there too. Oh, yeah, I definitely, yeah def- definitely let a lot of people down with that one myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, we see Darren just like struggle to stay, um, stay, just state like, you know, I'm not all these things. And so mm. how do you, how do you write a character that is so, afraid to tap into his true self his true identity his true blackness in the beginning um because it seems like you've had that experience and to able to write it because it's so authentic so is that something that you've personally struggled with when you were in tech Mm, yeah that's um that's a big question i know Um, so uh, thank you for your patience in advance if i if i answer it you know in a long way um when I was writing this book, I didn't want to write one type of black person, mm. right? We, we see very intentionally <clears throat> when it comes to language, Darren doesn't speak to Brian or Rose in the same way he speaks to Jason. Right. That was very intentional and that their comfortability and their very specific New York slang is because they are both from New York. Right. Like in the same way, that this is the way that I spoke with my friends growing up, you know, the the, the couple black friends that I had um, and with my brothers. Right. This is the way that we just conversed. But it's not the same way that I speak with all my black homies, because it's, you and I had these discussions. Right. I was like, I was like, Joy, do you know what this word means? Like this slang word, you know, X, Y, Z. You know, we were discussing the word brick, for example, and how we use it in New York. So it was important for me to showcase that. And Darren is this metafiction where Darren, then Buck is the author 
and he states clearly in the beginning that he's writing to black audiences, but he, in the narrator's voice, he's still not writing in African-American vernacular English um, or, or Ebonics or with, with slang because that is not, um, that is not just embedded in the way that we, they, we all speak. Right, so right. He was he was saying, you know, my audience, while being black, um, not all of them are going to be from New York. So, so let me speak in a more standardized way that could be relevant. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing. And when writing some of these characters, um, especially the black ones, right? If on the face or when you first meet them, you think that they're a stereotype. By the end of the book, they have broken out of that. Right. Multiple times. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that some people who read this book could say, you know, there are these tropes and things. Um, sure. You know, I, I, I did that intentionally on the beginning, in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. But I, whether it was a page later or a chapter later or a couple parts later, I made sure that these characters were three dimensional for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and I, I also push back on the people who say that, this book is full of a lot of stereotypes um, because these people exist. Someone like Buck exists. Someone like Jason exists. I know these people. I know these people, you know? Uh, And someone like Clyde exists. And someone like Rhett exists. I know these people. Frodo, people like Frodo exist, but I'm not going to front. I had fun with Frodo. I had fun writing that character. Um, and, And I took a few more liberties um, using him as comic relief. Um, but in terms of your, your question, joy of, of Darren, right? Darren, it's like Darren wakes up and it's like still black. He's black from the beginning. He's black in the middle. He's black by the end. Um, you see it in terms of his interests from the movies that he loves. I mean, my man, you know, I'm not saying that this is like his, Oh, this is what it means to be black. But the the films that he consumes, and you can see those reflected in the posters on his, on his walls. Um, mm-hmm. The love that he has for the black people in his neighborhood and for himself, he isn't pushing it away at all. Um, but it is when he goes into this hostile white majority environment, not white majority, white only environment, mm-hmm. other than when he he enters, that he has his identity beaten out of him. Mm. And I'm not just going to say, right. Darren is not a victim. He is not someone that just has his identity beaten out of him. He is someone that allows it to happen. Right. Someone, um, whether there's one moment or many moments, um, or, or it's sudden or gradual, he makes the decision subconsciously or consciously to be the person that these people want him to be. So not just that he thrives at that, at that workplace named someone for the listener, S U M W N, but so that he can thrive there. And I did do the same and the same did happen to me in my life, especially when I was working in tech, I don't think that it was conscious, but it was this subconscious alchemy of me gaining a lot of power and power yeah. is defined in so many ways. What is that? What does power mean? Right. Is it, is it the way that, that white people attain power and wield it? Um, is it something else? Um, but I had power, I had status again, status, however you define it. I had success, however I defined it at the time and I had money and I felt as though in the same way 
that I presented my college ID to those cops in Bed-Stuy that it would protect me mm-hmm. on what it means to be black in America and what it means to be a black man. And mm. many times it did, but not every time. Right. And there were times that I had reality checks in the workplace mm-hmm. based on how I would hire someone or I would roll into an interview with someone and you could tell that this is the first time that they've ever encountered a black person in power above Mm. for the first time in their lives. Um, So in those moments, I would be like, oh, whoa, you know, whoa, like I am, my my blackness is still here every day. Um, And then I would have, I would have friends or my brothers be like, yo, nigga, who do you think you are? (laughs) You know, like you think that, you know, you're working at this startup and you are exceptional and that you are different and that that will make you immune to um, the, 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 ah, I'm going to say horrors, even though there's so much more of our experience, right? But that's that's how they were speaking to me at that point in the same way that right. Jason presses Buck in that same way. Right. Um, and there came a reckoning, Joy, when I left that startup mm-hmm. and when who I thought I was for years. I was mm-hmm. there for almost four years and it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all doom and gloom. Again, I had power. I was riding high at the top. I wasn't like a peon. <laughs> I wasn't a corporate peasant. Like how how Darren comes in, I was I was at the top for most of my time there, right? right. And so it wasn't like I was coming in every day like sad and and right. being subjected right. to the intense racism that that Darren experiences. I experienced that as a young person growing up on Long Island, and I translated that into the experience that Darren has to better reflect how many of us feel in these white majority environments, specifically the workplace. Um, yeah. But still, when I when I quit, because I quit. I didn't get fired, even though I think the people in charge wanted to fire me. Um, I'm almost certain of it because there were things that were done to quote unquote, manage me out, man yeah. out um, for the listeners who may or may not know is when you make an environment so inhospitable and hostile to yep. someone that they then quit. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I left though, I still had to be like, who am I now? And I had anxiety. I didn't leave my bed for like two weeks. And fortunately, Joy, I still had my friends who I knew before I began working there. I still had my family. I still had my brothers there for me and who didn't forsake the person that I became. And they were there to put me back together. And I wouldn't be here as a published author. I wouldn't be here as someone who um, has learned and is still learning what it means to be, um, I guess, a good and an intentional person and a friend yeah. and a brother and a son if it wasn't for those people. So we just got real, but uh, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and, and this is so funny because me and my husband were literally just having this conversation about someone about power and what it, what it does and what happens when um, an empty person gets power. Mm. Uh, and and how do you, you know, how that, how that, you know, how, how that person interacts with other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of touched on something around, like, it, sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's subconscious. And um, the, the Academy is no different. Like, it might mm-hmm. as well be a startup, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, slave ship and all the things. Um, but you touched on something around, like, either way, it was a form of survival. And it makes me think about all the things we do as black and brown folks in this country and really everywhere across the globe 
what we are willing to lose in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's for me personally, you know, now, you know, it's my podcast. So I'm gonna talk about me a little bit too. Um, I think for me personally, I've reached a stage in my life at all 27 of my years of being like, you know what? I don't need all that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, Y'all can have it. Y'all can, I don't, yes, I'm getting this PhD, but I don't need to have to be called Dr. Woods all the time when I'm done. Like y'all can have all that beautiful shit because I am no longer sacrificing who I am, what I am, and what it means to be black in America. Even the joy, right? All the intended. Mm. Because I think like you, you touched, you said that word trauma porn. And that's what like people expect. Yep. Um, especially it's like, um, actually I love when people look to me like, so, you know, tell me about, you know, what's it like growing in the, up in the hood. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, first of all, I don't know. Second <laughs> of all, stop assuming everyone's the same, you know, socioeconomic class. Yep. I'm like, you're, I was definitely your neighbor next to the golf course. Growing up, so I'm confused. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> so like you start to, you do start to feel yourself mold into those things of like okay you know maybe i should talk like this or maybe i should do all of those things um we so saw yeah, you how to make a slave right he talks about yeah, that yeah yeah <laughs> that was that was the best thing. <laughs> um i i think about that a lot because in these are conversations like that your book i have told a lot of people to read your book not just because like we've become cool but like also i think it definitely touches on you know what it is to be black in the academy because it definitely you lose yourself it's it happened to me this summer dealing with someone who lost themselves Mm. so it's very easy when you get comfortable being the only Mm -hmm. um and so i think yeah i don't i don't know where i was going with that but like i think it's very i think it's very interesting and you also said when you quit this job you didn't know who you were and so what does that mean to to have your identity, your whole person, your whole personality <laughs> tied to your career. And how do you undo that? It's, <clears throat> it's scary and it's dangerous. <laughs> Sorry. I said, I know I don't ask easy questions. No, no, no. It's, it's scary and it's dangerous um, to invest mm. yourself wholly into anything, whether it's a relationship, a yeah. job, a creative mm-hmm. endeavor, or what I would say um, is the most dangerous is a dream Ooh. because dreams are not for everyone to achieve. They're called dreams for a reason. You eventually got to wake up, right? Um, and in terms of that startup, when I left, I, I myself was laid bare for myself to see. Mm. And when I held, and this is this, you know, I don't, I'm going to do it, like talk about myself in the third person, but it is still strange to do it. But when I held who I thought I was up to the light, I was like, damn, I don't Mm. like everything that I see. So what are we going to do about it? Mm. And when I was able to share that with people who I trusted, they were like, yeah, bro, you were bugging. (laughs) We thought you were bugging, but we're here. And let's get to work. And Mm -hmm. one of my best friends was there for me. A lot of my day one homies were there for me. Um, My brothers and my family were there. And especially my younger brother was like, we need to get you into nature ASAP. So Mm -hmm. I was going into nature all the time. We were going on walks. 
we were going by, you know, beaches on Long Island. We were going into the forest. We were going into the woods. I was breathing fresh air, getting getting the city out of me. Um, and my mother, especially, every day was there for me to talk to and just process all of this. Mm. Um, and again, this is me as someone who was a top dog. I right. wasn't some of these other people who I may have harmed. Speaking candidly, mm. right? There are parts of me that are in Clyde. The psychological mm. warfare of breaking people down because you think that it's for their own good. Mm. I did that at times. I did that many times. Um, and while people I worked with, not all, but while a lot of them had serious love and admiration for me, um, I think some of them would also cringe when they think about our initial interviews or my mm. training that I ran with them because like Clyde, right? I believed that if someone could survive what I was going to put them through in training, then they would be successful on the phone. They would be successful in this environment. And I used to tell people, Joy, straight up in the interview, yo, this place is wild. Um, you need to not only drink the Kool-Aid, but it has to taste good. I used to tell people. So flash forward, right, to I'm no longer in that place that I was so wrapped up in. Um, I was broken and I had to build myself up, but I didn't do it alone. Yeah. Um, and it's important for me to point that out. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the last thing I'll say is on this point, just going back to what you brought up earlier about take it until you make it get along right get you know, just just um just go along to get along right mm -hmm. and, and i brought this up at one of my events that you may have been at but i think about my mother who when the election was, was like certified or recertified and we knew that that biden had won and say what you will right um about biden um or just politicians in general but right. she said the big and the small son we have to take, we, we have been forced to take the big and the small in this country and around the world mm -hmm. for so long. And it's been time for us not to. Um, but at the same time, Joy, while this is the experience that many of us had, have, have had, and many of our, um, the ones who came before us have had of like, yo, just shut up and take it. Um, just shut up so that you get the job. So you get the promotion, take the aspersions, take the ridicule, take what we could call a microaggression or overt racism just to better yourself and, and, and better the lives of your family and those who would come. That isn't the only story there. Mm -mm. There are yeah. others, right? Yeah. Like Jason in the book. There are others like people that we know and people who we, who we may be right now or the or the person that I am definitely now where mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put up with but with what Buck put up with. But that right. isn't to demean Buck. Some people look at it and they're like, "Oh, you know, why would Buck take this?" The people who have been in those scenarios know. 
why someone would take this. Sometimes you're stupefied or shocked into silence. And you're like, is this actually happening? Or is this slight that I'm perceiving to be racist actually racist? Because we've been conditioned through so much mm-hmm. gaslighting to, mm-hmm. to believe, oh shit, maybe this is just in my head. Maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I'm overly sensitive. Yeah. Um, when, it, when the fact is, no, you are not paranoid brother, sister, or sibling. No, you are not overly sensitive brother, sister, or sibling. These things are real and they are happening. Um, but this isn't how we all face it. And this isn't, this isn't how we all process it because there have been, <laughs> I'm laughing because there have been many people and, uh, many bookstagrammers. It's funny. I had the, I had an interview with the New York times this morning. Um, and the woman, okay. asked me, are you still, yeah, a little flex. She said, are you still reading reviews? I said, the only reviews that I'm reading are from bookstagrammers because they keep it real. Um, beyond anyone else, they're unafraid. And despite that many of them receive free books from publishers, they're not pandering to them. And that's the energy that I'm on, even if they aren't messing with my book. But I, I bring this up to say <laughs> many, many people and black and, and black books to grammars, um, they're, they're, their reception of the book has run the gamut. As you know, I know you're keyed in too. There are people that love the book. There are people mm-hmm. who aren't feeling the book. Um, there's not too many people who are lukewarm and I like that, but there are yeah. people who said, yo, this book was crazy, but if I was Darren, I would have caught a body. <laughs> like, yo, I would have caught a body. I think Joy now would have caught a body, but like Joy first in grad school, first mm-hmm. year of my master's, I would have, I did go along to get along mm-hmm. and, uh, until I was like, why are you asking me is my handbag real? What the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole other story. Yes, my Burberry is real. Mind your fucking business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get out of my pocket. Okay? Leave me alone, Georgina. <laughs> right. Come on now. Um, but yes. Yeah. And I've also been the person when like, I see people in their stories reading it and we're talking about, I'm like, they're like, I don't know. This is so crazy. I'm like, finish the fuck. Like, just finish. I promise. Circle back to me when you finish. And then I get messages like, so I finished and I'm so glad I did. I'm like, thank you. I told, I knew, I know exactly what part you're at in the book mm-hmm. that you hate. Because I, too, remember getting the book and realizing you followed me and I met DMG like, what the actual fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, what? I know. And I, I know it's not an easy read. And that was very intentional, right? And, and you and I, um, I think this is, I know that this is how you and I um, began our friendship, right? And really like getting close is you asking for clarification and oh, challenging yeah. me in a way. And I liked that. Because I was, as I told you, then very intentional about so much with this with this book. But I also understand that my explanations or justifications for certain events happening and certain words and language being used um, will not satisfy everyone. And I'm okay with that because I didn't write this book to satisfy everyone. I wrote this book to write something that felt true to me. Um, yeah. true to the people that I wanted to serve and true to the nation that we lived in. And um, yeah. unfortunately, there are people in our nation today, people who I have known that use words that I detest and do things that I detest. Um, and I didn't want to write them out of the book. So right. the thing is, though, I did want it to have enough um, to keep the reader engaged so that they would at least finish it. And, and hopefully understand my intentions. But if people reach the end and they feel as though they understood my intentions and they're still not messing with it, that's okay. They don't right. have to. And yeah. something that I thought about a lot from our initial conversations is that 
writers are not entitled to receiving the benefit of the doubt from any readers. Mm. And the the quicker and the more deeply we can internalize that, I think um, the more emotionally and mentally and spiritually health spiritually healthy will be when it comes to uh, the reception of our books. But let me stop preaching. It's just that's just what I'm on right now. <laughs> I mean, whatever gets you through, and yeah, whatever gets you through. And I haven't really seen, you know, I don't really follow too many non-black bookstagrammers because I could really care less. Mm-hmm. Um, reading, you know, you know, Nicholas Sparks or whatever. And John Transom, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think overall, like, there is the book is relatable. Um, you know, I'm not going to give any spoilers. The ending definitely wanted to throw the book at your face. Mm. Um, throw it in the trash, pick it back up, be like, mm-hmm. why the fuck that? But I think it's all these aspects of I'll definitely the year I want to start rereading books. I don't know what that'll be yet. That's a book that I'll reread because mm. that's a book I would even from a scholar standpoint that I would have in a interpersonal communication class Mm. because like, that's all this book is. You have all these different relationships and how people communicate and, and really communicate to me. Every people don't agree with me, but I think everything's communication. So everything's in a personal communication. Sue me scholars who are listening to this. Um, But I think your book really does a good job of, being translatable to people who've never been in sales, who um, never been in startups, but who are black in America, being the only, knowing just how to make sure you don't lose yourself, but mm. also understanding that if you do lose yourself, that's not where you have to stay. You can find your way back. You can find your way back, like you personally did, like we all personally did, because. Like I said, Joy now would have caught a body. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and plus now I'm married to a nigga from Philly. Like we both ready to catch bodies. Say less. We on the way. Yeah. Um, our joke is like, oh, we need all black for this? Okay, say less. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With this so, nice. <laughs> We just be rolling up. But I like our time's coming to a close and I could talk to you forever about this book. Um, which probably will mm-hmm. and <laughs> offline but the way i end my podcast is i ask people because i'm a big music person and i told you this what is your go-to song on your playlist this week or last week because we are recording on a monday so like what was your what's been your song your theme song maybe even since you like hit new york times what's been on repeat you know how you turning up Wow. I love this question. Um, and uh, I'm not going to front. I'm trying to figure out whether I should like, <laughs> whether I should not give you the songs I've been listening to. But let's keep it a buck. I mean, I, I've been listening to Free Smoke by Drake a little bit, just like turning up. Um, I've been listening to The Stakeout by Russ and people got thoughts on Russ. I got thoughts on Russ. I understand he's a white rapper, um, right? But he uh, he he feels himself in in a way that I like. It's not the same way that I feel myself, but I appreciate his bravado. And, and beyond that, I appreciate um, in the same way that I I, I loved and love Nipsey Hussle. I appreciate all that Russ speaks about independence and owning your masters and not getting got by the so-called masters. 
right? Ooh. Even though um, he is white. So I appreciate that. Let me let me let me see. Like uh, one more that I've been bumping is Sumi by Wale. Um, is my stuff. There you I go. Okay, Sumi, I'm rooting for everybody. Black. Shit. Yeah, that's my, that's, that's my jam as well. Um, and that song specifically, Sumi, keeps me very grounded, um, especially in interviews um, with non-black people. Right? Um, not what do you say? So those exist. I didn't know there was. Yeah, no, no, no. There are there are many of as you know. Um, but um, that that song pushes me to just stay my authentic self and not pander and to have the audacity and the courage to say, yo, I'm, I'm happy. And I, and I welcome non-black people reading it, right? This book was picked mm-hmm. by read with Jenna's book club. Um, mm-hmm. Her book club has black and brown people and black and brown women in it, but it's majority um, white women. Right. So I'm really? happy for them to read it, but I had a specific person in mind when I wrote it. And mm-hmm. when I say that some people push back on it, and they're like, really? I think that what you actually intended was X, Y, Z. And I was like, no, I, I intended it. And and some people push back because I don't know if there are many writers who are putting the stake in the ground like that because maybe it could deter sales or not make you as palatable to other people. But let's keep it real. Ernest Hemingway did not have me or you in mind when he wrote The Old Man in the Sea. So, oh, the worst book ever. And I know people are going to like shoot me. So, so. There's that. Um, the last one I'll say that really just gets me in my feels. It doesn't get me amped up, but it puts me in a very reflective state is um, My Own Way by Nina Simone. Oh, um, yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. I, I feel like, hold on one second. I, I feel like I'm, I'm messing up with that title. Let me let me just get it right. I'll, I can just easily Google it. Anything that Simone works, though. My so. way is my way. My oh. way by Nina Simone. My own way, my way, all the same. Yeah, my way. When I listen to that and she says, I did it my way. Um, that's when I give myself a little pat on the back for coming into this game in the way that I wanted and being who I am and not switching it up. And it's a reminder to not get God again because there are some Ooh. places all around us and in every industry. Say it. Say it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and chatting with me. Um, tell the people where they can find you on the socials and I'll put all this in the show notes and mm-hmm. get his book, black book from independent bookstores. Yes, independent and black owned if possible, um, but definitely independent for sure. Um, you can find me at Ask Mateo, A S K M A T E O, on Twitter and Instagram. I got my email on there if you ever want to chat. And uh, listener, thank you for your time, attention, and energy, and I'm wishing you well. Love. Thanks. <laughs>